Do turn with me to the bulletin insert or to your NIV Bibles to Acts chapter 1 beginning to read at verse 15. This sermon today is not rocket science, but it is something that I think every Christian needs to know how to know God's will. And, uh, you know, the Patrick family, the Loftus family, they had to go through this in the past few months. Does God really want us to uproot our families and move them somewhere else? As much sadness as it brings to them and to us for them to leave, when you're within the will of God, you're always joyful because you know that God blesses obedience. Deuteronomy 28 teaches us that. So that's where we want to be ourselves. That's where we want the families of this church to be as well. So uh, this is a kind of sermon that I preach uh, every so often so that we make sure uh, we know God's will. And if you tend to forget things, you might just want to take the outline for this particular sermon and slip it in your Bible somewhere where you'll always have it with you and you can rattle off those things of how to know God's will when the time comes in your life. Now, we're going to read the Word of God together in unison, beginning to read at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers... The scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles." Okay, it's time for a pop quiz. Did you used to hate those words as much as I did in high school? So why would I use them? 
Well, it's an easy pop quiz. What Old Testament prophet was called by God to go to a certain place and then he decided to disobey and ended up going on a cruise through the ocean in the belly of a great fish? The answer is Jonah. Right. And of course the reason Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because that was the capital city of Assyria which was Israel's worst enemy in that day and time. This is the time of the split kingdom. The northern kingdom with Samaria as their capital and the southern kingdom, Judah, with its capital as Jerusalem. It's a few generations after the time of Solomon and Jeroboam II is the king over Israel, the northern kingdom, and he'd conquered nearly all of Syria and he'd made Samaria one of the greatest cities in the land. As a kingdom, Israel was almost as large as it had been during the days of David and Solomon. Happy days were indeed here again for the northern kingdom except for one thing. Assyria was a huge and powerful neighbor off to the north of Syria. And so you have Nineveh and Assyria lurking like a great shadow over the peace and prosperity of Israel. And that's the type of world in which Jonah lived and everything seems to have been going okay in his life until God comes to him and calls him to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance to that city because, you know, as we've talked about before, God is a compassionate God and He didn't want that city and its people to be destroyed. He told Jonah this and expected Jonah to do as he was told. But if you know the story at all, you know what? That Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. He went in the opposite direction. He booked passage on a ship to Tarshish, which is about as far away from Nineveh as one could get in that day and time. He bought his ticket. He went down below. He went to sleep. He washed his hands of the whole affair of God's call and will on his life. Chalk up another win for the human will and a loss for the will of God in a particular person's life or at least for a little while until a storm would come along. God's will is something that we Christians talk about a great deal. We want to know God's will. We want to do God's will. We pray to have the power of the Holy Spirit help us to both know and empower us to do God's will. We prayed just a few moments ago the way that Jesus taught us to pray, saying what? Thy will, God's will, be done on earth as it is in heaven. But how do we really know what God's will is in a particular circumstance or with a certain decision with which we're faced? You know, sometimes God's will is very clear, just as it was for Jonah. And we can see an example of that, of God's will being very clear in this text before us this morning in Acts 1. Peter and the other ten apostles 
they want to carry out God's will. After Jesus had left them, after He had ascended into heaven, and after Judas was dead. And they knew the Scripture said, may another take His place of leadership. So for them, on this occasion, God's will is very clear. The Scriptures tell them they need to replace Judas. And for you and me, God's will is oftentimes made crystal clear through His Word, through His written revelation to us. There are all kinds of things in Scripture that tell us how we are to live, that tell us God's will for our lives. And in saying that we should make use of the Bible, I don't mean that we're to use and or exploit the Bible in order to have our own way. There are plenty of people out there who take a few verses of Scripture and take them out of context and refuse to look at other verses that contradict what they want in order to make the Bible say what they want to hear. I guess one of the most recent examples of exploitation of Scripture in that way is is Harold Camping and his claim that the world as we knew it would end on May the 21st. What is it? June the 12th. I mean, he was taking Scripture, he said, and coming up with all kinds of mathematical equations so that he would know he and no one else except those he told when the world would end using, I would assume, I haven't researched this, but I would assume a lot of the book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature. It's figurative by its name. And all of this study, what I want to know is what happened to Jesus' words, very literal words, in Mark 13, I might add, where Jesus says, but of that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, for you do not know when the time will come. Now, if Jesus, while He was on earth, said He didn't know the time, I don't think Harold Camping would know the time, nor would you and I. And yet, He made these ridiculous predictions going against what Scripture teaches. It reminds me of the old Spanish proverb which says, laws go the way kings desire. That came about during the reign of Alfonso VI in the 12th century when in the nation of Spain he had to decide whether Spain would use the Gothic prayer book or the Roman prayer book And so he told his people that he would just throw both books into the fire and that way, whichever book came out unharmed, they would know was the prayer book they were to use. Sounds like pretty bad theology to me, but uh, that's the way the story goes. And so he threw both books into the fire. And when the Gothic prayer book survived the ordeal, he threw it back into the fire and chose the Roman instead. And that's when the people of Spain started saying, laws go the way kings desire. I wonder how many of us ask God 
about something about His will for our lives, we receive an answer from Him and then we throw it back into the fire, so to speak. When I say we can find God's will through Scripture, I don't mean using the Bible in exploitive ways in the way we've already discussed or taking verses and passages out of context. What I do mean is to read and study the Bible daily so that we already know an overview of what God expects of His people in life. And needless to say, this overview doesn't come with just one year's study. It doesn't come with certain courses we might want to take. All of that can help, but it's, it's a, a, an attitude of a lifetime of learning from Scripture to see what God says over and over again. And this is why it's been so important what our Christian Education Committee has emphasized during the past few years about how important it is for us to read through Scripture constantly. This is why in 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, Christian people who rightly handle the word of truth. Now, we talked a great deal last week in that sermon about the importance of God's word, so I won't belabor the point here today other than to say that there are a lot of people out there in the world today handling the word of truth. You know, you and I, we handle the word of truth when we're teaching Sunday school, when we're leading young people, when we're talking about with our children biblical principles. We need to make sure we're rightly handling the word of truth. That's what God's word tells us to do. And as we study, as we read, as we know more and more how God would have us live, we also see His will unto us in so many different circumstances and situations. Many times the answer is right there if we simply know where to look. But the Bible isn't the only thing that helps us determine God's will, and that's a good thing because there are many times when Scripture does not give us any indication of which way to go in specific circumstances. For example, it doesn't tell us whether we're to marry someone or not, and if we are, whom to marry. It doesn't tell us where to go to college or if we are to go. It doesn't tell us which vocation we're to choose. Just like Peter and the other ten apostles, they knew they were to choose another apostle, but they did not know whom to choose. Well, there are many other principles or spiritual concepts that help us to determine God's will for our lives in these and other matters of importance. And one such principle is the counsel of Christian people. Notice in our text that the group of people gathered there who were most likely the entire Jerusalem church, all of them together put forward the final two gentlemen for the vote, so to speak, Joseph and Matthias. In much the same way, the council of Christian friends helps us to know God's will. I mean, think about the story of David. He's a a shepherd, out in the fields keeping watch over his father's flocks. All of a sudden Samuel the prophet comes into their area, 
tells Jesse he wants to look over all of his sons, which he proceeds to do, and David is the last one that he sees. And this is when God tells Samuel, the prophet, he says, that's the one. David is the one whom I choose to be the next king over Israel. You go and anoint him. David found out God's will for his life, not through a vision, not through a sign, not through God's voice from heaven or through some scripture from the law, but rather through another person, through Samuel, a man who had sought the will of God all of his life. Mature Christian counsel is another way in which we come to terms with what God's will is. Another avenue through which we can find the will of God is through circumstances. The circumstances were such, according to our text, that both Joseph and Matthias had been with Jesus from the baptism of John all the way until His ascension into heaven. In other words, through His entire public ministry, both of these men had been with Him. Think about the Apostle Paul. As an example, he always needed to know the will of God concerning where he should travel on his missionary journeys. We get a glimpse of that in Luke. When Luke writes the book of Acts in chapter 16, we read that Paul's party went through the region of Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. Now, Paul was typically a missionary of the larger cities. That's why we read about him going to places like Athens, like Corinth, like Ephesus, Philippi. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to all these places because that's where the people were. And if that's the case, how in the world did the tiny island of Malta ever hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Apostle Paul. Why were those particular people exposed to the good news? It was because of circumstances. It just so happened Paul was on his way to a large city, to Rome, when the ship he was on ran into a storm and they were drifting hopelessly across the Mediterranean Sea and all of a sudden ran aground on this tiny island of Malta, a miracle in itself if you look at the map. I mean, all of this ocean and one little tiny island out there, and that's where they happen to end up. You see, circumstances governed by the providence of God many times shows us His will for our lives. But going back to our text here in Acts 1, before they chose Matthias... Notice that they did one more thing. They prayed to God and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. We too can know God's will through prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit. How many of us spend even five minutes a day asking God to show us what His will is in a particular area of our lives in which the Bible is not specific. As we pray, God often uses His Holy Spirit to deepen within us 
a conviction of the rightness or wrongness of a particular course of action. This conviction differs from emotion. You know, emotion is a series of ups and downs and may swing whichever way depending upon circumstances. Conviction is a deepening, constant inner sense of peace or lack of peace about a decision. You know, when your pulpit committee contacted me about 10 years ago, right about this time of the year, this is what Sarah and I had to begin to do seriously, is to look at Scripture is to consult mature Christian friends of ours, was to look at the circumstances regarding this congregation, regarding the one we were already serving, regarding our family, the ages of our children and everything else. But we especially had to begin to pray specifically that God would show us what He would have us to do. Think about how Jesus prayed all night long, we're told, before He chose the twelve disciples from among all of His followers. We know He prayed the night of His betrayal. He was still praying when the crowd came to arrest Him there in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying what? That God's will would be done. Now this morning we've talked about four practical ways in which you and I can know the will of God. Employing the scripture, the counsel of mature Christian friends, the circumstances surrounding the factors of the decision and and prayer and the leadership of the Holy Spirit through prayer. And we've talked about and learned from the lives and mistakes of others. Jonah's decision to go against God's will. David's guidance from Samuel, the prophet, and the Spanish king's proverb, laws go the way kings desire. That proverb, I think, points us to something very important. Because in the end, it seems to me, it all comes down to whether we are the king or whether we see Jesus Christ as King and Lord of our lives. Because if we are the king, we'll put a choice up to God and we'll keep trying our own way until we finally get our way. Think of Abraham and Sarah. Not willing to wait for the promised child. They kept going their own way to make sure that what they thought was God's will for their lives would take place. And it was not the right decision. Unless we're surrendered to Christ, it's correct to say that our actions will follow our own will, which is the will of the flesh. The only way to have the will of God, it seems to me, is first to be willing to do it. And a large percentage of knowing that will, I believe, consists in being willing to do it even before we know what it is. 
to use a time-worn illustration, don't take a piece of paper and write down all of the things that you're going to do for God and then sign the bottom of it. Take a blank piece of paper, sign the bottom, and let God fill in what He has in mind for your life. You don't know the answers and neither do I, but God knows Let Him fill in the page and act under His guidance, under His Word and circumstances, under His people and through prayer and the guidance of His Holy Spirit regardless of where He leads or the difficulties you experience. And then God will make His purposes and His plans known in plenty of time for all of us to act upon them. And it will be amazing the things that God can do through people such as ourselves, sinners that we are, and yet sinners who are committed to God's will. And now to Him who by His power within us is able to do infinitely more than we ever dare to ask or imagine, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forevermore. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father,